Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Enigma. Do you know what? It is episode 107, and I'm laughing because this makes me happy. Now, that is incredibly relevant to today's episode. You know, someone told me something. What you record, you reward. And many of us talk about KPIs within a business, but actually, what about the KPI of happiness? How do you actually record and reward happiness? Do we even know what happiness is? How's it relevant to business? How's it relevant to us? Trust me, it is. You do not want to miss this episode where I'm going to be talking to Nick Marks. His TED video itself had millions of views. So let's hope this episode has millions of listeners. No pressure, everyone out there, but come back to me straight after this. During constant change, your leadership has never been more important to create a better and more inclusive world. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast for the insatiably curious to explore the power of human-centered leadership to create real momentum for positive and sustainable change. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we speak to global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors as we discover that success leaves clues. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. I always get slightly nervous with that intro, I must admit. Nick, it's a massive warm welcome to the Leadership Enigma. How are you? I'm good today, thanks. It is great to have you on this show. And I've been keen to talk about the subject of happiness now for months. And it just was almost by chance when you connected and I thought, oh my word, there's a greater power at work here in relation to what you do and how you do it. And this episode makes me happy. It really does, like all of them. But can you just give the listeners a little bit of an introduction to you? Because you've got an incredibly rich background. So just just set the tone for us. Yeah, um, I'm a statistician by trade. So I went to Cambridge decades ago to read maths and I actually discovered I wasn't a mathematician. I'm a, you know, an applied statistician. And I, I just followed a random walk of a career. In fact, well, uh, one of the great business leaders in, in the UK, Charles Handy, who I'm sure you know, was a friend of my uncle's. And he told me, you should try many things when you're young, Nick, because no, no one really knows what they're doing until they're 40. So um, I tried lots of things, including training as a therapist, uh, which sort of gave me an, a sort of unusual view on statistics. And I, I ended up being a consultant and then did some more academic work and then eventually ended up in a think tank in London, uh, leading a program on well-being and how we measured it, which became unexpectedly successful, I would say, in the 2000s, uh, ended up with me doing a TED talk at the end of it. Uh, and then since then, I've been thinking about work and really because compared to most things, people are not as happy at work as they are in the rest of their life. And they spend a lot of time there. So it seems to me it's a great opportunity to uh, sort of express the benefits of feeling better in life to an audience that actually it's in their interest because it's in the interest of the business and interested in the individual. You know, I think we probably all know that it's a simple truth that a happy team is a successful team. And so can you do some measurement on that? Can you get better conversations going about that? And that's what my business Friday Pulse does. And I love that. So this is why this is going to be great fun. I want to rewind before I fast forward, because you actually were part of a think tank that I think almost, did it do some government work as well? But how did that come about? How did that think tank in relation to this subject of happiness come about many years ago? 
Well, so it was existing. It's called the New Economics Foundation. It right. was actually founded when the G7 summit came to London in the late 80s, right. I think. And um, and there was an alternative summit, which is basically saying, what should the G7 be talking about if they noticed the majority world and if they noticed that the future was a bit under pressure with sustainable issues? And they founded the New Economics Foundation after that. And when I, I, I was always involved a little bit with NEF. We, we always called it NEF. And then in 2001, the, the head of NEF challenged me. He said, look, Nick, you, you're thinking about these ideas. Why don't you come and work with us on them? So that's how the well-being work started there. And NEF became very famous for its well-being work, really. I, I mean, I founded a team that which was, I mean, I think we all dream of founding a really functional, purposeful team. And I had these great, you know, 10 years younger than me, folk working with me on this big idea that government should measure well-being, that we should, uh, and that it should be an aim of policy. And at the time, Tony Blair was quite keen on the agenda. Uh, David Cameron became very interested in it and set up the Office of National Statistics to create national measures of well-being. So we had a really thriving decade there working on that. So Nick, maybe well-being has been thrust to the front of the queue again because we've all had to navigate a pandemic we're not completely out of the woods yet and i always say that we've all had a deeply personal experience whoever i talk to we've all had a deeply personal experience in relation to the pandemic so i've started to hear the term of of well-being leadership you know that ability to look after self to look after others and i know you look at happiness on multiple levels which we'll we'll come back to but let me start at some basics what on earth is happiness do we really know what it is I, I quite like that it's ill-defined because it's it opens a conversation. Yeah, um, and so we can talk about happiness in, in at least three ways in the English language, which is that I feel happy, so it's an emotion. Yep, I am happy with, which is basically a cognitive judgment about whether something is going well, and also I'm a happy person, so that's a trait. You know, it's a sort of stable trait, and it is all of those things, but. When I'm thinking about it functionally in a team, I'm really thinking about the emotional and cognitive elements, which is that when we feel good, we do good work. And, and the, it isn't, I often say, it's not a state that we achieve and we're there. It's not a beach we lie on. It's kind of like very, very dynamic. I think of happiness as like a wave function. I'm a statistician, so I'm gonna think of it like that. But it's <laughs> like, you know, it goes up and down. You'll have three moods in the morning. And, and basically, the way we sort of kind of use happiness is a bit close to pleasure. It's a bit, it's like, is it good or not for me? And in a way it's a good, bad signal for us. When we're happy, it's carry on. When we're not happy, you need to change something. Now there's, there's lots of nuance to that. Yeah. Like, you know, if I ask people what happiness is, some people will say it's contentment, which is a very low energy reflective. And others will say it's joy, which is very high energy. So it actually covers a whole range of positive emotions. And I would include with that, I think what's probably your favorite emotion, which is curiosity. You know, curiosity is a very positive emotion. It's very energetic. It's very exploring. It's looking at the bigger picture. Um, interest is another one that's more focusing uh, on a particular task. So this is sort of array of positive emotions. And we use happiness as almost a gateway word into those emotions. So when you're thinking about building a happy team, you don't expect them all just to be smiling and laughing and clapping all the time. It's you want those intense positive emotions, you know, and the range of them. And of course, sometimes the negative emotions, they're called negative, not because they're dysfunctional, they're called negative because they're dealing with a threat. So things, you know, the classic ones are anger and fear, sadness, but there's a whole array of them um, again, 
And, and they could be functional at times. Sometimes it's appropriate to be angry. I mean, obviously how you express it is, is your choice, but it's, you know, to feel that. It's normally when we feel something's unjust, we feel angry. So there's a complexity there. Right. I remember when we chatted earlier, you said that actually if we were happier all the time, that would be pretty dysfunctional. And I thought about that actually on the train home. And I thought, oh my God, that's, that's really right, isn't it? it? It wouldn't, it would just be wrong. It would be slightly odd to be happy all the time. And as you say, I don't think we actually want to be happy all the time because we want to feel that dichotomy of emotions. But one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, there's something about happiness in the individual and happiness in a collective, because this is about relationships, isn't it? Yeah, in fact, Daniel Kahneman, who you may have heard of, who's yeah. a Nobel Prize winner psychologist, he, he, he says happiness is almost a social emotion. And it's sort of between us. And... Um, so we're much more likely, I think it's 30 times more likely to laugh in the presence of another person on our own. You know, you look, you'd look mad if you're walking down the street laughing to yourself, you know. Well, now we've got mobile phones, people think it's something else, but <clears throat> previously. Or earbuds, so, we can't see. No, <laughs> yes, people. can't see the earbuds. In fact, it does look odd when someone's doing that, doesn't it? So we think of it as a very relational uh, space. And in fact, um, you know, when I was doing the work on well-being at the Economics Foundation, I, I was always getting quite frustrated. People were thinking too individually about well-being and happiness, right. you know. And so, you know, when I was doing work, I was always trying to emphasize the social element that, you know, it's very much about connectivity. It's very much about generosity and giving, um, you know, and, and human relationships. I mean, that is what makes us a successful species is our ability to have multiple relationships, you know, which becomes very important at work. You know, it, you know work is a network of relationships. Why, why do we build networks of relationships? Because they achieve more than individuals. And you. And it's, yeah. No, go on, Nick. I interrupted you. Well, I was just going to say, I sometimes tell a story. It's, it's actually from a, from a, um, uh, a psychologist, I think, called Robin Dunbar. And he talks about the Dunbar number, which is like the number of relationships that we can hold 150. But he also goes much smaller and he says, look, if you met a gorilla in the wild and you were one on one, the gorilla would beat you every time. Get to five to 10 people and five to 10 gorillas, and we start winning because we can collaborate. And that is the extraordinary thing about humans is we collaborate well together and we work better together. Yeah. So one of the questions on my mind is, how much work are you doing now where this is linked to culture? Because culture is a theme that is coming up time and time again in many of the conversations that I'm having. Is that because of the experience we've had for the last two years? Don't know. But talk to me a little bit about culture and happiness. Yeah. So. Every organization, let's, let's talk businesses now, has a culture, whether they've defined it or not, whether it is functional or dysfunctional, whether it's toxic or, 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 yeah. or supportive, there is a culture there. Um, and so when I'm thinking about how you can measure people's experience of culture, I ask them how happy they were, are. because in a sense, that's an experience, that's the experience, that, that's the lived experience of it. You know, a good culture you're going to feel good in and a bad one you're going to feel bad in. And, and organizations often <clears throat> think, I mean, they, they can talk about their cultures in terms of values and behaviors, and these, these are reasonable ways of talking about them. But ultimately, they're experienced in the individuals and in the relationship. So if you're going to try and measure them, you have to kind of ask individuals and build up a picture from that and so i'm very keen on kind of demystifying the word culture and getting it back down to you know is this a good experience for people because right. that is more tangible even though happiness can feel a bit intangible it's quite easy to answer the question was i happy at work this week 
we can give an answer to that very easily. Whereas if you ask, you know, how was your how was your team's culture this week? People wouldn't know. Right. Or, 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 or what was your even what was your well-being? Actually, people wouldn't know how to answer. Or engagement. How engaged were you this week? People wouldn't know what the top of that scale was. Right. You know, what's it like to be fully engaged? Do I have to be available 24-7 intensely? Well, that's humanly impossible. So how would you do that? So yeah. I really that's really interesting. So almost some of those concepts are a little bit too vague or nebulous for people rather than just, have you been happy at work this week? Is, that's yeah. quite a simple question, right? It's a very simple question. You can answer it. Um, one of my script writers once wrote me this line, which always makes me laugh. It goes, from the shop floor to the top floor, you can answer this question. And it is, it is, that is actually right. You know, it, everybody can, from a CEO to someone, you know, um, in a truck delivering. And I think that's really important. If we're going to create an inclusive goal for an organization then that it has to be human it has to be people have to relate to it you know when you when we're dealing with sort of staff engagement it, it's tended to feel like the organization wants to get more out of me for the same money whereas if the organization asks me how happy they are it feels like they care about me so it changes that psychological contract sort of quite subtly and very importantly and i love the application of that single question to everyone in the organization are you happy or have you been happy this week from the CEO through to, as you say, the newest intern or yeah. the person who is delivering really at the, the front line. Tell me a little bit about KPIs because we hear KPIs, key performance indicators in business all the time. And when we chatted earlier, you said, but they're very backward looking. And so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so in statistics, we talked about lagging and leading indicators yep. and a lagging indicators when you're basically measuring the past and it's telling you about it and this is actually one of the major reasons why i thought i had something to contribute to the field of measurement in business because i looked at all the people metrics and they're all lagging they're like you know what was our what was our uh, sickness absence this year what was our staff turnover this year right. um or you know sometimes they do a staff engagement survey so what was our engagement by the time they got the results three months later the teams had all changed and the whole business had changed so again it was still talking about the past so i wanted to create an indicator which was very immediate and also one that predicted the future so happiness does both of those you can ask every week so that you get a very uh, you get a timeline so you can see how things move and also how you feel this week predicts how you're going to work next week or next month. So help me understand the real hard data that goes with a happy culture or a or happy workforce leads to happy results. There's a better way of describing that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, there's lots of data. We've got some data on it and, and there's lots of well, there's some research on it. It's not enough research on it, in my opinion. But so happier individuals are uh, are more productive. And that's both in the quantity and quality of work that they do. Right. So um, and then it becomes even more complex than that because obviously work is complex. But so if you give people tasks and, and they put them in a good mood, they're more likely to do like 10 to 15 percent more of those tasks in a given time. That's the quantity. If you give them creative problem solving ones, they're more much, much, much more likely to solve them if they're in a good mood than if they're in a bad mood, maybe three times more likely to solve them. So creativity is very linked to being in a positive mood. But then you can get into things like so the sales data. So there's a great study by a professor at Oxford University on sales in BT call centers in the UK. Right. It's a very clever study, actually. I love this study. But because call centers, you have absolutely no prospecting. You're just sitting on the end and you just get delivered a customer. So it's nothing to do with whether you found a good customer. It's just who comes. They found that the happier operators were selling uh, 
twelve um, percent more in a week than the ones who were neutral. Right. And when you add that up in BT, that's a massive impact. You know, it's a very very big impact. And actually, telesales is one of the least happy professions that there is. It's, you know, <laughs> so so actually, it, the, the difference becomes even more profound because you've got lots of people who are unhappy who could be selling a lot better. So so there's and they also found that people that were happy one week and and or weren't happy then were they sold more the second week. So it was really even within person. So it's a very very strong result. So it's definitely more productivity, uh, staff retention. Quite obviously, I can look at that in my data in. Uh, we can look in quarter one, uh, who was happy, who was unhappy. Did they leave in quarter two? Right. Twice as likely to leave in quarter two if they're unhappy. I mean, that's not rocket science. I'm not going to win a Nobel Prize like Daniel Kahneman for that. But it's data which is showing that if you are worried about staff retention, of course, right now with, you know, with a lot of vacancies and not many people filling them and the quality that that is an important thing, then, you know, staff happiness is something you can do something about, Um and, you know, between you and me, it doesn't even cost that much. You know, it's actually talking just about, you know, people being uh, friendlier, managers being more receptive and responsive to their reports and things like that, which which actually are not, I'm not going to say they're easy because they're not, because we're all frightened of human relationships, but they are really feasible to improve. Nick, I love the simplicity of it. I really do. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what is it now incumbent on leaders and organisations to check in on happiness because I had a great conversation I think it was Scott O'Neill he's the former CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils so he was in sport I thought that was quite a cool role he used to have and he talked about work life and said there's no such thing it's all about presence are you really present when you're either with your people at work or with your family at home but let's be honest they're inextricably linked and we all have challenges in our home life what's the role of the organization to monitor or help happiness overall, not just in the workplace? Is there a role? Well, it's in their self-interest. So uh, enlightened self-interest, I think, should be driving it. But I think you can think about the ethical uh, and sort of other stances too. I I kind of think that it's worse to send someone home stressed and unhappy on a Friday than a Tuesday. In the sense on a Tuesday, they come back to work the next day and they can fix the problems. But if people are having things which are lagging into their weekend, I think that becomes more problematic and more draining for them. And, and we kind of all know that there's this bleed. I mean, in statistics, we call it spillover effects from one domain to another. Right. And so, you know, if you are unhappy at home, you will bring that to work. If you're stressed at work, you will bring that home. And conversely, if you're happy at home, you'll bring that positivity to work. So they are, they, 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 you can't separate them no, out entirely. They're linked. They're linked. And, and, you know, we'll all know this. I mean, you'll have had people reporting to you and something goes on in their home life, you know, perhaps their, their spouse becomes ill or one of their kids has got a problem or a parent's died or something like that. And if you are um, empathetic to them, you give them, you know, a bit of leeway because they're trying to solve those things, they repay it in spades to you. Yeah. So this is always, I, and, I, and we are talking about human beings, like we're not children at work, you know, we are adults, we're all adults with, you know, people are managing their budgets at home and their things at home. They, they're smart, you know, we're smart people. And and so we, we, we have to sort of allow that to come into work when it's appropriate. Some people are more private than others. Some people, you know, spill over much more than others. That's the complexity of relationships. Nick, in the work that you've done, have you seen the impact of the pandemic on happiness? Is there anything you can kind of report back on on that? I mean, I could even show you a graph if I can share my screen. I I love a graph. So this is a graph that came out um, in early 2001 it was in something called the world happiness report which obviously i read okay <laughs> and um world happiness. and i had 
Okay. Yes. <laughs> comes out every March is that there is a World Happiness Day in March and they release this report on it. Okay. And it included sort of buried away in chapter seven, this graph, which I found fascinating, which was UK workers weekly happiness during COVID. And to be honest, I didn't know that YouGov, the polling agency, were collecting this data until this time. And what we can see with this graph, so some people might be listening on audio, is yep. that in March 2020, there's this huge dip in UK happiness. That's when we started, wasn't it? That's when the, we went, first yeah. went into lockdown. And then there's a, a moving back up again. And we moved into the summer, you know, it was eat out to help out. Yeah. Uh, we, 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 you know, it, we felt, all right, we're done with it. And of course the autumn came and we crashed down again. And basically this is happiness as a wave. And, 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 it's, it, and it's sort of, I, when I showed this graph, most people go, well, that's my experience. That's how it was, yeah. And it's actually collating lots of, individ- lots of people together and, and picking up the trend. But, you know, you were less likely to be happy in these circumstances. So. And the first dip was very driven because there's other data you can look at. It's very driven by by fear. It was a really scary time that March. I mean, London emptied that week first week, didn't it? It was yeah, just like on the Monday, it's pretty normal. And by Thursday, I remember going in through Liverpool Street Station and thinking, where's everybody gone? You it was know? like some kind of apocalyptic movie. Yeah, it was ahead of Boris shutting us all down, but it was like, you know, there. And then, you know, the second dips were much more driven by boredom. Right. Boredom is a real killer for happiness um, and a little bit by loneliness, but more by boredom. And so you've got these different things that impact in the unhappiness going on. But the data by measuring weekly, you see, you get the trend. You know, when you just do an annual survey, you'd have missed all this. You your annual survey, staff survey in January, February, which when a lot of people do, you'd have missed the whole of the pandemic, you know, and, and so you need this data very real time for it to, I, I think, to really come alive and make sense. So I'm just thinking of the last time I went through an airport, which actually wasn't very long ago, and you go through security and there's that little electronic, have you seen them, with three yeah, faces not, yeah. on them? And it's yeah. kind of the happy, is that all about recording happiness or temperature checking people as they're coming through? Is, is that what we're talking well, about? Well, that's a measure of customer satisfaction. In some, I mean, I, I think they're fun. I, I actually... I really, there's one design thing I really don't like about them, which is they've got no midpoint. They have very unhappy, unhappy, happy, very happy. Right. I, I think you really need an okay button. Yeah, ambivalent. And, well, yeah, <laughs> in the sense that, I mean, one of the problems with the Heathrow Airport one is you only click the button if you're very unhappy, really, because you just want to say, you know, yeah. so you're not getting everyone's data. But the other thing is if you're an organization, if you've got that midpoint, then actually people go, oh, that's okay, you know, and, and the sort of thing is that okay isn't okay. And so you allow the respondent to say how they're feeling without having to go, it was terrible. But just like people know about net promoter score, you need people at the yeah. top of the scale to be thriving. So um, you really need people to be happy or very happy. So in a way, it's a soft, it's a soft unhappy. And I think that's very important to collect. And so I've always been keen on odd numbers of response codes. So three is fine. If you're doing a value survey, you could say, you know, not doing these values somewhat very good. That's okay. But I think you need that midpoint always. So let's be explicit on this. If people are listening to this thinking, I want to run weekly happiness check-ins. Yeah. Help us. Should that be a five point scale on how should we label it? What could people do? You know, they're listening to this and they could actually now tangibly do something with their workforce of five or 50,000 people. Yeah, well, I, I would use uh, at least three. 
Okay. So unhappy, okay, happy. Uh, so we use five um, because it gives more nuance and there is differences between um, happy and very happy. And uh, there's less, actually less distance between very unhappy and unhappy um, because it, although they look like a continuous variable, they're actually categorical. So they're actually steps that are slightly different, but the difference between happy and very happy is important. So, so, so I'd use a three or five point scale. Um, the issue you really have to do is that it's no point asking if you're not going to act on the data. Right. And, and, and then also you have to really think about how you're supporting team leaders, because if you just throw this in, it becomes a sort of judgment on the team leader and it's not supporting them to do their best job. And um, uh, you, you said to me before I came on the show to listen to, was he called Gary Ridge? Yes. That was his name. Um, he was the CEO of uh, WD40. That's just so cool that, I mean, I've never really thought about who makes WD40. Anyway, um, anyway. <laughs> but you've got a can saying, like everyone else, right? Yeah, I, I remember my dad always spraying it everywhere. Yeah. And, and that must be 50 years ago. So it's been around a long time as a product, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you, you just nailed actually something because Gary actually describes it as they make memories, not just oil in the can. And what you did is what everybody does. They have a memory associated wow. with the product, which makes people happy. <laughs> Yeah, my, well, my dad used to have this BMW that he loved, and it, he, he drove it to a large Ford, and it broke. Oh. And getting WD-40 spraying in, and then it works again. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, so um, he was talking about how he doesn't call people managers, he calls them coaches. Yes. And um, and he said that they um, he helps them, their, their reports, basically, um, I don't know what he calls the coaches, um, um, to get an A rather than yes. marking them. Correct. And actually this works the other way really is that you're actually helping the team leader get an A rather than marking them because you've got to make it in their self-interest. So what we very careful at doing is um, presenting the data back to the team leads every week. So it becomes a feedback loop so that they immediately know that their team's less happy. So they can talk about it on a Monday. Uh, and we do other features like saying, you know, ask people to share what's a success for them uh, what's a frustration for them. So you're basically picking up friction and flow, but in words rather than numbers. I've tried it in numbers. And to be honest, it's so particular for every team that you can't really capture it with, with psychometric questions. So you're better asking open text questions. So we feed that back to the team leader every week so that they can have better conversations because at the end, the numbers don't change anything. The conversations will change things. Behaviors need to change. So it's actually how do you support that? So I wouldn't just go around asking everyone, are they happy? Unless you've got a system in place that you can actually build on that. So they can ask the question, have a system that can actually build on it, and they can actually tangibly do something about it. Because let, let, they're listening to this and thinking, well, hang on, Nick's got this, this mathematical and statistical background, and he's worked for these organizations. He's, he's do but people can actually leave this episode and do something in relation to happiness, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're leading a team, just have a start the week meeting on a Monday and ask people how last week was, what was the success for them, what didn't go so well. And, and you will start unearthing information which can help you work better together because effectively we're all sort of sensors in the organisation. You know, we're all emotionally attuned to what's going on. And this is just verbalizing it all as I do it, make it numeric. And actually, you know, that's, that's what helps create change. Now there is a little bravery about this because of course the worst fear of a team leader is their team's unhappy. Yep. Just like the worst fear of a parent is your child's unhappy, you know, this, this, so, but 
if you never, if you just leave your child unhappy, they don't get unhappier. If you just leave your team unhappy, they don't get happier. It is actually the talking, the listening, the acting together to make things better, which improves it. And then, I mean, life is so much easier running a happy team than an unhappy one. Oh, wow. Without a doubt. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's in your interest, but it does take time. I mean, I sometimes say that the currency of relationships is time. You can't just sort of give it two minutes. It is about getting into the same space as people and, and listening, listening, listening. We don't, you know, listening is a skill and it, and it's, and it's not a quick pacey skill. And you, and of course businesses are so quick and pacey that we often just, just forget about this, but actually what you need to do is carve out time, which is a bit reflective and a bit slower. And that half an hour, one hour a week will be worth masses in productivity. So think of it as an investment, you know, rather than a cost. Being quite intentional about this. Now I have to ask you about the happy planet index, because some people may know you for that. Uh, the, the TED talk that you did has been viewed millions of times, but help the listeners understand what is the happy planet index? Yeah, I'm, I'm a statistician. I've got a one trick pony. I make indexes. So the happy planet index is what um, yeah, I'm most famous for. My TED talk was about um, basically my proposition is that good lives don't have to cost the earth. This is a sustainability index and that climate change is one of the biggest issues facing us. And so if we are going to tackle it, we need to think about how successful nations are at building happy and long lives for their citizens at the lowest environmental cost. So instead of saying GDP per capita is the measure of the welfare, I basically the happy planet index proposition is it's well-being per ecological resource use. Right. And so it's a sort of bang for your buck indicator. And what it does is it changes, the, it changes the narrative around what sustainability is. Because if we think that, I mean, of course, we're, we're entering a recession and it's not to say that GDP isn't important. It's not to say that. But what's really, why it's important is because it affects our lives. It, 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 it makes, you know, health inequalities bigger. It makes um, happiness inequalities bigger. If you want to talk about it like that, you know, always a recession falls more heavily on those lower down the income spectrum. Right. Always the health costs fall down on more of them. And so, you know, what we have, so, so basically the Happy Planet Index is saying, look, we should have a vision which we can all go to that's inclusive, where we build good lives that don't cost the earth. And, and what's interesting about it is that, that what wins the Happy Planet Index is Costa Rica, which is this little nation in Latin America. Yeah, where they're actually happier than the USA. They live longer than the USA and they use about a quarter of the carbon or, or environmental resources. So, you know, the future might be more Latin American than it is North American is kind of the proposition. But it's it's a playful index in some ways, but it's a very serious one. It's basically saying this is a big thing uh, that is coming to humanity. I think we need to create indicators which are more um, inclusive and human and basically deal with people's fear because people's fear is that they have to give up the lives that they like in order to be sustainable. And actually, they don't have to be any less happy. They might be a bit slower. Uh, They might be more relational. We might have slightly less things, but we might have deeper. We might have music that's better and dance that's better and all sorts of things. Uh, But it's trying to open up that dialogue about what it is. So um, it's something that I will continue to work on. I'm sure to my, to the, my dying days, but it's, it's now become a side project rather than my main thing. I was going to ask that. Does it refresh? Do you refresh the data as time goes yeah. on? How often does that happen, Nick? So we last did it last year, right. um, refreshed it. Um, we, we'd had a bit of COVID data, but we didn't have it fully. We 
we do have a grant for the next five years. So we, we're starting to think about how often we will renew it, probably every two years. Uh, I want to do more video and stories um, and yes, have the data there, but take more engaging ways. You know, I, I like decimal places, but some people don't seem to like them. So. <laughs> You're talking to a lawyer, Nick. I, I literally can't add up two and two. So uh, <laughs> in that respect, I've got to take your word for it. I really have. Uh, is Costa Rica still doing well in the refresh data? Yes, Costa Rica is still doing well, though. I wouldn't say it's heading in the right direction because it's got rising inequalities and, and that there are issues, as in most. But if you look at the countries around it, like Nicaragua and places like that, it's doing a lot better than okay. it is. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting country with a particular history. It never had, hasn't had a standing army, um, has been slightly under the protection of the U.S., but they've what they've done is they've re they've reclaimed forests. So they they've actually doubled the amount of forest cover in the land over the last 40 years, having seen it go well. So they're doing lots of extraordinary environmental policies there. It's very okay. forward thinking. Okay, well, hopefully this is something that people will check out, the Happy Planet Index. So Nick, what's next for you? Here we are, 2022. Uh, we're outside of a pandemic, are we? Well, we're, we're but it's gonna be something there's always huge change over the horizon. It never stops changing the world. So What's the direction of travel for you now in the people and organizations that you're working with and helping? Oh, so I think that for the next few years, I'm, I'm trying, I would say, to grow this business, Happy uh, Friday Pulse, um, which is basically just a simple, you know, bit of software that people use. And we're building like tips and training into it because as I say, I think the thing that I keep coming back to is that relationships are difficult and t- leading teams is difficult. Yeah. And how can I create tools that help team leaders be the best team leader they can be? Because it's shocking how little is spent on team leaders. You know, I was looking at the data and I think it's something like 250 pounds on average per person per year. But when you think a team leader might run a team of five people earning at least 20,000 pounds a year, they've got a hundred thousand pound machine and they're given, you know, 0.25% budget on it you it's know like when you put crazy. it like uh, that you being the statistician and mathematician again then nick but as you put it like that that's that's pretty compelling so just tell us a little bit about some of the tools that you have available that listeners could actually get access to that would help yeah. them yeah so the, we've got a free personal checkup about happiness which is i don't know if you've ever done one of those 16 personalities tests where you sort of put it in and you turn out to be one of these myers-briggs personalities anyway yeah. we've got one of those which is called friday one so one friday one.com and you can do a five minute happiness at work test it will give you a report compare you to a benchmark and ask you some questions to reflect on it okay so the hang on, that was um, one friday number one.com correct no so friday one so friday friday the word friday then one gotcha one.com yeah. gotcha all right <laughs> um so you go do that or you can do uh, and then we have a um at the moment we've got um, a free team version of friday pulse uh, on our website um, if it happens not to be there when you go, cause we're going to play with it a bit, then just email us and you'll be able to get access to it. But okay. basically, um, that's for teams of up to 11 people and it's 11 cause that's the size of a football team. Right. And I thought that's probably the biggest team there is, you know, once it goes to rugby, it's two teams forwards and back. So 11 might be about the biggest team. So you can use 11 users for free. And then after that, we're pay for tool and we have multi-team functions so that you can see it. So that's basically the business I'm trying to grow and, I'm sort of building in a sort of academy into that where you give tips about how to lead a happier team. And, you know, things like, you know, simple ideas about what good listening to is, what the sort of habits, you know, consistency is so important in leading a team, just as it is in parenting. You know, if you're consistent 
and persistence, then so many things go well. So it's, as I say, it's carving out that time which we can really um, listening to him and being willing to be surprised about what they're saying and, and, and respond to it. But I'll put those, um, uh, those details in the show notes as well, Nick, so people can see them on, on all their podcast platforms. And I had another question for you, which is, what is the best piece of leadership advice that you've ever given or received? <laughs> I mean, that's a hard question, isn't it? I mean, the personal advice, I think, was that one that Charles Handy gave to me, which was try lots of things because you'll find out what you want to do, um, which I is like sort that. of personal leadership. You know, it's really, really good. Um, and I, th- I think that understanding that that people are are different and they they have different motivations and if you want to work with people you you've sort of got to learn to get into their space you know i i used to work with a very brilliant um young statistician he wouldn't say anything in a meeting but if you asked him the next day wow he had lots of thoughts so you have to you have to get into their world you can't expect yeah. people's come i'm very quick and I, I, you know, and actually he was a smarter statistician than me. He just, he needed to reflect to get there. It was, you know, so I think it's responding to those individual people. Yeah. And really embracing the uniqueness, the difference, the diversity of thought, all of those things, which, you know, really come back to something that I'm passionate about, Nick, which is that human centered leadership piece. And I think yeah. so much of what you've spoken about really dovetails into that. A final question is how can people connect with you if they want to uh, continue the conversation with you, tap into your wisdom, get you involved in work they're doing? What's the best way? So I, I do have my own website, which is nickmarks.org. Um, That's N I C. N-I-C, N-I-C Marks, marks.org. Okay. No, no K yeah, for bizarre reasons, school. Um, and then um, and then I'm on LinkedIn uh, quite active. So LinkedIn is the best place to just find me. You, you know, if you put in Nick Marks, I'm come up pretty quickly. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, Nick, you've been an absolute superstar and you have indeed made me and I hope many listeners happy uh, in relation to the nuggets of wisdom that are in this. Listen, uh, check this out. Check those resources out. Get hold of Nick as well if you want to actually take this seriously. And we've got to take this seriously. We know how important this is to the culture of our organisations. And as you say, happy workforce pretty good stuff right the results will go from there and you've only got to listen to gary ridge's episode a couple of weeks ago to get that reinforced nick you've been an absolute superstar i hope you've enjoyed spending some time on the leadership enigma i have thanks very much indeed take great care join us again next week for more tips and strategies on the leadership enigma we'd love to hear your comments on today's show as well as suggestions for future topics and guests get in touch with your host on linkedin or our youtube channel and remember to get your daily learning to build success at www.insights.emeritus.org. Download the Insights app and start learning for free. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on all your major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.